Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. We're living through challenging times right now in the midst of a global pandemic and the daily bad news and headlines it brings. And some of us are struggling daily with fighting repetitive or intrusive negative thoughts. And we're feeling powerless, victims of our circumstances and our own mind. The truth is we all deal with a mess in our mind at some point in our life or other. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. How we deal with that mess is the difference between having a healthy mind and body or living from an unhealthy baseline of constant anxiety and depression. The good news is we can clean up our mental mess and get out of the loop of toxic thoughts and behaviors. And my guest today will explain exactly how to do this. Dr. Carolyn Leaf is a world-renowned neuroscientist, international speaker, and best-selling author who has been studying the brain for 38 years. Dr. Leaf is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and PhD in communication pathology, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. And since the early 1980s, she has researched the mind-brain connection, the nature of mental health, and the formation of memory. She was one of the first in her field to study neuroplasticity and how the brain can change with directed mind input, and she has transformed the lives of hundreds of thousands of individuals with traumatic brain injury, learning disabilities, autism, dementia, and issues like anxiety and depression. Dr. Leaf's YouTube videos, podcasts, and TV episodes have reached millions globally, and in her latest book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple, Scientifically Proven Steps to reduce anxiety, stress, and toxic thinking, she provides us with a plan backed by clinical research to find and eliminate the root of anxiety, depression, and intrusive thoughts. All this so we can change our mind, to change our brain, and build a healthy new and automated neural network, which allows us to change our lives and live them to the fullest. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Dr. Leaf, thank you so much for making time in your busy schedule to be with us today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm always excited to talk about the mind. So it's, thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, absolutely. And before we jump into my questions, I would love for you to talk to us about how you became inspired to study the brain and what made you realize that guiding our mind can lead to changes in our brain. Well, that was from a young age, I was very interested in the mind and the brain, and I was going to become a neurosurgeon and got into medicine. And then I realized that in order to study the mind, I'm going to have to change track because the mind and the brain are not the same thing. And back in the 80s, the 
they didn't be, they be, uh, agreed that the mind and the brain were not the same thing, but they didn't believe that the brain could change. So the going philosophy of the time was that your brain could never change. So therefore, if you had any kind of damage like TBI or something, that was it. You had to basically learn to compensate and live with it. And that sounded like uh, such a negative and unhopeful way of looking at things or hopeless way of looking at things. And also it was just, it didn't seem right because we always, life is different every day. Every moment's different. We constantly experiencing new experiences throughout our entire life span. So if our mind is what we use to experience life, that must mean that our brain, which our mind uses, because the mind and brain are not the same thing, the mind works through the brain, the brain responds to the mind. So if the mind is changing, then the organ that the mind works through and uses it must be changing as well. And that's the concept of neuroplasticity, that the brain can change with directed mind input. So I decided to, uh, in one of my lectures very early on in my first degrees, first degree, I remember one of our neuroscience professors, and we must remember that in the 80s, neuroscience was in its infancy at that stage, it was very, very new. And I remember one of our professors saying, well, the brain can't change. And then one of the neurology professors saying, the brain can't change. And I challenged that and they said to me, that's a ridiculous question and I said well is it really and I started working with areas I said okay I said give me the worst situation and let me do research to show that with directed mind input you can change how mind how the person functions because your mind drives everything and that's going to change the behaviors so you can get changes in your cognitive social emotional intellectual and so on and so I started working with traumatic brain injury they told me it was a ridiculous question I actually did a TED talk on this and I had some professors that did support me and I'm happy to tell you that it did it did work. I worked with my very one of my very first subjects in one of my very first studies. I worked with someone who had a traumatic brain injury at the age of 16 and had been written off by the doctors as a vegetable and um, it was in a coma for a long time and eventually came around and they used to say terrible things like that to parents that your you know child's a vegetable after a certain amount of hours. Fortunately they don't use that speak hopefully anymore um, but long story short fast forward they approached me it was the early days of my research I'd been doing other similar research and I worked with them for eight months this and when I started working with this young girl she was only um, she was when she had the accident she was going into her 12th grade so her last year of school so at this stage she had lost the vast majority of the end of her, her, her 11th grade and a large portion of her 12th grade and her goal was to get back to school and finish with her peer group, which was a massive goal considering she only had a few months. And so, and she was only functioning at about a second grade level when I evaluated her. And so this was like a pretty, you know, pretty big gap to close in a pretty short time. And with directed mind input, she closed that gap. And she uh, basically went back to finish with her peer group, finished. She was a very average student before, really battled with maths before the accident, after the accident with brain damage, with directed mind input, input, which means her brain and mind both changed, she actually became a math genius. And her, um, when they tested her IQ scores and used different, not that IQ is very limited, but we did various different types of neuropsychological testing. She was a genius. She had, she had literally transformed from a very average student to a genius student. And that really 
motivated me. So my subsequent years, I, I practiced clinically for 25. I don't practice anymore. But while I was practicing, I was doing in the field research too. So instead of creating a lab and bringing people into a lab, I basically went out into the environment and I had got a lot of experience working with very different types of patients, working in very different environments from all different types of socioeconomic and cultural environments, um, also in different like government, education, corporate school, ex extreme conditions of like war trauma, war torn countries. What I wanted to see was to understand humans and mind and resilience and what are people doing? What separates out the, what are people doing to manage life and to manage their mind and what is mind and what are thoughts and what are memories and what are emotions? You know, words that just get bandied around. And so based on that, I did, um, I, worked, I basically developed a system that was born right back in the, in the late 80s with my initial research, a system that is, is basically a five-step process. I had to simplify a very complex process that enables us to understand what the mind is and how to drive the mind because the mind is everything. So that's kind of the big picture. And, and fast forward to today, I've written many books and I now teach around the world. And my most recent book, which you mentioned, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, I put some of my most recent clinical trials very simplified in there just to show this, what the mind is, what the brain is, what the mind-brain connection is, and how you can develop the skill of managing your mind for mind management and self-regulated mind management. So that's kind of a big nutshell, and then we can unpack the detail. Excellent. Thank you for the nutshell and for, I mean, you are such a, a well-known and well-respected neuroscientist worldwide, and you've changed so many people's lives. Uh, and just the one story you just told about the young girl uh, who became a math genius, we have much more power over our minds than we're being told. It's people such as you who help to empower us and even in seemingly hopeful situations, turn them around. I'd like to hear from you what happens when we don't direct our minds and when we let them run wild with negative thought patterns? How do our thoughts actually affect our bodies and our all-over health, especially when our thoughts are mainly negative on a daily basis? That's an excellent question. And, and uh, just to answer that, I'm going to just quickly explain the difference between the mind and the brain. And then we can talk about the interaction and what actually happens, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that there'll be people listening and watching, but I do have some props. So I can explain the props as I'm going along for those that are listening. So I'm holding up a brain in a skull. It's not a real brain. So for those of you that are listening, and the reason I'm showing this to you and telling you about this brain is because you are not your brain. Your brain is not who you are. Your brain is something you use. So you are actually your mind. So your mind is the uniqueness of you, how you uniquely think and feel and choose. So mind in its most basic definition psychologically is how you uniquely think and feel and choose. So I put three fingers together and that's those three happen together. They never work separately. So you can't think without feeling and you can't think, feel, think and feel without choosing and you can't choose without feeling and you can't. So they're always together. So we start the thinking process, which is responding to life, which immediately activates feelings, which immediately activates choices. So this is a cycle that we're constantly going through at around about 400 billion actions per second while, while we're awake. And then it's also it's happening even faster on an unconscious level, which operates 24-7. So on a conscious level, which is when we're awake, our mind is working at about 2,000 actions per second. But on an unconscious level, which is operating 24-7. So at the moment, we're conscious and we've got our unconscious mind operating. But tonight when we go to sleep, we'll 
just have our non-conscious operating. So the non-conscious mind is, is basically working all the time. And it's where all of our experiences are stored as thoughts with memories embedded inside the thoughts. And we build those and thoughts are a product of mind. So when you think, feel and choose, you make something. There's a product. Like when you, you eat, you get nutrition. When you add, when you put two chemicals together, you get a product. So when you think, feel and choose, you actually get a product and that product is thought. And so thoughts are actually real things that occupy mental real estate. They they basically take up space in the brain. They change the brain. So we literally, with our mind, we experience life and we build that into the brain through a whole lot of electromagnetic and neurochemical and quantum and um, and basically gravitational work that we do with our mind, use, use our brain and we put it into our brain. We literally build it into our brain and the thoughts look like trees. So I've now got a, an image for those of you that are listening of a little plant, a little tree plant that's plant, planted in a pot. So it's obviously got roots and it's got branches, but this is a thought. So a thought is a tree and like a tree has branches, thoughts have roots and branches. So a tree is made of roots and branches. A thought is made of memories, root memories and branch memories. So one thought can have hundreds or hundreds of thousands of memories in it. So we can recall a thought and it'll bring up a lot of memories. And those memories are thinking, feeling and choosing related. So you'll bring up feelings, you'll bring up choices, you'll bring up thinking about those feelings and choices. So these the thinking process is recalled, the feelings are recalled, the choices are recalled. And that's what's in these branches here. The roots are the source. So right now, as I'm speaking and we're having this conversation, we could call the thought that is being built at 400 billion actions per second by the listeners and viewers with your mind. We could call this thought the discussion cleaning up your mental mess, or it could be mind brain, or it could be mental health, or how the brain and mind work, whatever. Everyone's going to have their own um, name for the tree. Like you have apple trees and fir trees and pine trees. Every thought has a name. So this thought is the name of the podcast. But as we, as I'm talking and as you're asking me questions and we're having a discussion, all of that information that I'm speaking is processed by the mind. You're thinking, feeling, and choosing, and it's built into the root section. So the roots of the thoughts are the source. Where is it coming from? So it's the experience. It's what you're hearing, reading, talking, listening to, um, experiencing like in terms of you uh, you go and play a sport or you experience an abuse. Or, so whatever you are experiencing or hearing or listening, that goes to the roots. Then the branch memories are how you interpret that because everyone's going to interpret it uniquely. So this is your unique thinking, feeling and choosing about whatever you're experiencing. So every person listening and watching now, you're all going to have the what I'm saying is the roots, lots of roots and by the individual have maybe two or three thousand little branches made of proteins that you've built so you've changed your brain that's neuroplasticity because you've grown this into your brain it has physical weight these actual thoughts have weight they have impact um, like our bodies have weight they have gravitational impacts um, and so they they can be weighed literally and then the branches over here are the each person's interpretation of what I'm saying because everyone's got a unique life experience we none of us think the same way so even though we're hearing the same information we're perceiving it on our own unique way and that's what this is and so the thought 
roots, the thought tree with its roots and its branches, then will manifest in how you speak about this information. So whatever you tell someone about what we've discussed or whatever, whoever's listening, they share this information with someone else or they apply it in their life. So however you show up, whatever you do and say is based on the thoughts that you have. So this is our, these are our belief systems. So you go, maybe your religious belief systems in how you interpret it in your life and um, how you were brought up with certain value systems and how you interpret that in your life, what you learned at school and how you interpret that in your life. So, and then all that together is, is making up this massive forest in our brain and in our mind, in two, in three places, mind, brain, and body. All these experiences are converted by our mind into the brain, into the body, and into the mind in three places. And we're doing that all the time, every day. We do, we, we build about 8,000 to 10,000 of these a day. And we've been doing this since we were in at a certain age in the womb. So in our non-conscious mind, we've got this dynamic um, flow of a massive forest. Think of a huge forest with, that's endless because there's so many trillions of experiences that we've had and every experience has become embedded into the, that we've met, that we've focused on. Some will disappear if you don't focus on it long enough, you know, so short-term memory operates and it'll disappear. But if, if you've thought about it long enough in long, in long enough cycles, and we can talk about that, it'll turn into a fixed tree that will be in your long-term memory. And it's one of the trees in the forest. So in the brain, it literally looks like a forest. In the mind, which is surrounding the brain, now I'm holding up a model of a body. And if you just look at yourself, if you can't see this, imagine that there's a cloud around you that you can't see, but imagine that there's a cloud around you. And this cloud is an energy force and it's penetrating not just your round your body, but it's actually moving through every cell of your body. That's what your mind on a physics level. So the mind on a psychological level is this think, feel, choose, think, feel, choose thing. But on a, on what that looks like on a on a physics level is it's like a gravitational field that's surrounding and moving through the brain and the body. So we know that we've got gravity because we're sitting, we're not floating. We know that there's gravitational fields around us. We know that scientists have done years of work on gravitational fields. We also know about Einstein, and Einstein did a lot of work on photons and electrostatic effect. Now, if you put all that together, Einstein also did work on quantum physics with a lot of his colleagues. So you take a combination of sciences and you can understand that there's this energy force around the brain and the body. And that's the physics side of the mind. The brain is the physical substance. So the mind is not the brain. The brain is this thing in here. The mind is this whole energetic field with, with dealing with all these photons and gravitational fields and all this fancy physics, quantum physics, and so on, that is that activating the brain and the mind. So now if you think of a really a good way to understand this or visualize this is to think of someone who's dead. Now, right now we are alive and the listeners are alive. The difference between all of us and someone who's dead is our mind. You won't find that gravitational field, that force, that energy around a dead person. It's not there anymore. It goes. It actually physically disappears. So you can do an EKG on someone's heart when they're alive, and you can actually see the electrical activity of the heart. You can do a QEEG, which is the technology I use on the brain, and you'll actually see the electrical the an energetic response of the brain in terms of the different frequencies. You can do an fMRI, and we're going to see oxygen blood flow responses and magnetic radiation and so on and so on, and how the, the particles are responding. But if you did that doesn't happen so the difference between 
mind and brain can be seen in terms of aliveness. When you're alive, this mind is functioning. It's driving the brain and the body. So there's a wonderful relationship between the two. And when the when you're alive, the mind is constantly influencing the brain and the body. And the brain and the body, it's a feedback loop, then will feed back into the mind. So we have to look after our brain and our body in terms of diet and exercise and so on. And um, But we, it, all of that's driven by the mind. So the mind is driving the functionality of your digestive system. So for, for everything. So for example, if you're eating a healthy meal, but you're ruminating and you're stuck worrying and you're sitting there eating this great meal, but your mind is just ruminating and stuck, you can lose up to 80% of that nutrition of that meal because your body, your digestive system can't work like it should because it's driven by the mind. So its functionality drops. You can have two people, there's a study done, Harvard and Yale did a study um, where they gave people these milkshakes and um, they basically, um, they were two, two, they were the same thing, but they labeled them differently. And the labeling, in, uh, the one was labeled as a, as a, a sort of slim shake and the other one was labeled as this enriched, um, as, 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 um, uh, indulgent shake and had more calories, but it was the same thing. They just put on their 600 and something calories and the other one 120. Now the mind is driving the process of digestion and the whole thing. So the, the people that had the one that was supposedly the slim fast one, their whole body response was normalized. Their body burned up the energy and there was no excess calories. The ghrelin response, which is the hormone response to hunger, et cetera, was all normalized. But the people that thought they were having a really heavy, dense calorie thing, their body didn't kind of froze because it wasn't healthy calories. So their body kind of froze and thought, I better hang on to this. And the Greenland, in other words, the mind was driving the response. We see people, the pancreas secretes 20 different neuropeptides when we eat and in order to assimilate nutrition. But if your mind's not right, those peptides won't be secreted correctly. So it affects the nutrition. You can go and do a workout, but if your mind is, oh, I just got to get this workout done. And I hate doing this and I don't want to be here. You're going to lose a large up to 70, 80, 90% of the benefit of that nutrition that your body would get. I mean, sorry, the exercise. And then those are easy to process. What we don't realize is that our mind is always working when you're alive. When you're dead, it stops. And, it, and it, that's another whole discussion. There's a whole spiritual level to that. Where does the mind go, et cetera, et cetera. And we won't get into that now. But essentially, in terms of the physical body, it will disintegrate. So the mind is keeping the body alive. So the mind's driving everything all the time you can go three days without food three three uh, three weeks without food three days without water three minutes without oxygen but you can't even go three seconds without your mind working so the mind's always changing always experiencing it's the first port of call so as you wake up in the morning and you respond to your loved one read that email start breakfast go to work you are experiencing life it's all experienced through the gravitational fields think field choose into the body into the brain and you're building these thoughts this is a healthy one and this would be a toxic one there's the toxic one it looks different in the brain and it's going to look different in the gravitational fields and it's going to look different in the dna and that's those are the things that we when we talk about cleaning up the mental mess we're talking about managing these, the little ones during the day that are cumulative and the big stuff, the traumas that have affected us, that create patterns in our lives that get us stuck in rumination and things like that. Superhumanize. Thank you for this brilliant explanation and also the analogy and giving us the images to place this very, very complex, uh, uh, these complex matters that of course you have um, been deeply immersed with for many decades so that we can understand them. I loved your analogy of the brain being like a forest and what you said about thoughts actually being 
heavy. No wonder we feel so weighed down. I couldn't help but when you mentioned that, thinking of uh, you know the times that we're going through right now. Of course, right now everything is getting exacerbated due to the global pandemic, but we're getting bombarded by negative headlines in the media, very stressful situations in our private and personal lives, and this can make keeping a positive mind which influences everything about our lives, this can make this really, really difficult. Um, can you explain what your research suggests to be the best way to manage our minds during these stressful times? I know you put a huge emphasis on mind management to clean up our mental mess. And what is your concept of this and why do we need to implement this? First of all, um, the issues that we're going through currently is not a unique situation because if you think since the beginning of time, mankind has been battling with stuff. So it's not unusual for you're a human, you're gonna, there's going to be issues. And there's a lot of good stuff and there's a lot of bad stuff and there's a lot of terrible stuff. And this is not the first time in history. It's just that every generation is facing something unique. So the pandemic is is, is unique and there's a lot of unique factors, but so was World War II and so was World War I and so was the Spanish flu and so was the genocides. And, you know, we can go on and on and on and every country's got their list of... So in other words, we're always facing something because humans use their mind to make decisions and they, we use our minds, think, feel, choose. We build thoughts and some very often toxic thoughts and these produce the wars and the crimes and the, you know, this produces life, this produces all the toxic stuff. And I mean, everything around us, you know, to, to, to just to kind of broadly answer this as well, if you think of it, everything around you, just you can just look at your hand, you can look at the technology, you can look at, this is all results of mind. Someone thought these things up and created the thought and then generate from the thought, became, yeah, the, this generates the behavior, the ability to make a dream come alive. So the thought has weight, but it's got to then be translated into action. So everything around us is mind driven. So if our mind's always working and our mind is productive, it, our mind produces a thought, the thought then produces Produces the the an external thing that we can see. It's a word, an action, a physical substance, Zoom technology, cell phones, food, dresses, whatever. Um, that, I mean, that, that that then that means that there's a lot of um, power in us to drive to create. So what are we creating? Are we creating, is there just a natural drive to create um, a mess or is there a natural drive to create healthy? How do we do this? What does it mean? So here's the easiest way to understand this. We have a messy mind and we have a wise mind. Every human at their core is basically built of wisdom. So if you think of that forest that I spoke about, the forest in the brain, it's easy to visualize a forest, but imagine the forest has got a huge strip through the middle and that strip is these beautiful green trees. They are absolute perfection. It's just like you look at them and you think, my goodness, is that even real? They're so perfect. They're so beautiful. That's your wise mind. On the outside, you've got all these other trees, which are all your life experiences from that point in the womb when we can start building, responding and building thoughts to the age that you're at today. So there's trillions of trees and a lot of them are little, big, small. The more you think about them, the bigger they are, the more they're waving with energy and the more they're able to move from the non-conscious through the subconscious, which is a bridge, into the conscious mind and influence how you function and how you see the world. If they're only small and they haven't had enough attention, enough energy built into them, they won't impact your behavior. So they're not a habit. They've just information that you've stored. So for something to impact behavior, they have to be turned from 
information into uh, into a habit and then it will impact your behavior but we also have toxic a lot of toxic experiences there's the abuses the traumas everyone has trauma of different to different degrees obviously someone you know growing up in a constant war-torn country like Rwanda I did work in Rwanda that it was a period and there's still so much unrest in a place like in South Africa I grew up there born in Zimbabwe I mean three countries that are extremely war-torn countries and filled with all kinds of issues look at this country look at the racism look at the police brutality look at the you know everywhere you go but there's let's say someone grew up in but there's a in in war-torn Rwanda versus someone who grew up in in a safe suburb in America there's obviously different types of trauma so that's what I'm trying to say is that we can't compare people's trauma just that trauma exists for humanity and it might be that you're growing up in a perfect home but that's no guarantee that you're going to not have challenges in your life as an adult there's been so much research around the fact that if you have a terrible childhood you are going to be mentally ill but mental illness doesn't even actually isn't a, isn't an it it's not like cancer or diabetes we shouldn't talk about mental illness we should talk about people trying to cope in adverse circumstances so something like depression and anxiety and panic attacks and the things that people are experiencing hugely in the pandemic and have experienced since the beginning of time exposed to whatever they're being exposed to that is not an illness it's not a brain disease it's not a mental illness it you're not a broken brain you do not have a neuropsychiatric brain disease you do not have a neurobiological breakdown all those scary words that sound so like professional um, that, are, that are used. You don't have, none of those are, it's what you are is a human in life experiencing the adverse circumstance of the current pandemic or whatever it may be on top of what else, ever else you've gone through in your life and that you hadn't resolved and were still resolving as the pandemic started. So it was like, you know, fuel on the fire. And that's, if you're feeling depressed and anxious and panicky and wanting to give up and overwhelmed, that's a very normal response to adverse circumstances. So we respond to circumstances circumstances and we respond with our very active messy mind so our messy mind is the one that kind of gets in the thick of things and experiences life so it's the one that is at the kind of forefront you think of it it's the one if the if the mind is this whole cloud around you it's the it's the mind the the messy mind is the one that's in the action it's the front line of the war so as you're in that conversation it's your messy mind that is experimenting so it's very experimental and it's meant to be because it's through the experimentation that we then grow and you know we make the mistakes we repair we grow we see we turn barriers into opportunities we that's that is the the philosophy of how the mind's designed to work. It is designed to experiment. So it's okay to have depression and it's okay to have the fight and it's okay to say the nasty things, And but it's not okay to stay there. So if you hear what I'm saying, it's actually, it's not okay to stay there. So the messy mind occurs because maybe you said that really nasty thing because you've had a tremendous trauma and what that person said to you or the way their body movements just the way that they presented themselves triggered something that you didn't even realize was still there. So you responded with your coping mechanism, which was to fight back because it was defend. I need to defend. I need to be do whatever because that's what you had done in the past to try to protect yourself. But if that's a regular pattern and it's affecting your relationships, that then needs to be dealt with. So that's a mind. So it's instead of saying, oh gosh, I'm, um, uh, and then you, you let's say it messes your relationships and then you're feeling depressed because you can't form relationships relationships or whatever, or it makes you panicky or something. It's not that you have a disease of depression or that you have bipolar disease. It's that you have, those are cues, like a detective looks for cues. Um, 
and clues, they are warning signals, they are symptoms of an underlying cause, that there's something going on. So if you see yourself reacting in a certain way, if you see that there's a consistent pattern of anxiety going to panic attacks in certain situations, then those are not illnesses. That doesn't mean that you need to run to the doctor and get a diagnosis and a label because research shows that as soon as you have that, the mind kicks in again and you're then going to create this, oh, I'm broken and and hope is taken away and you feel like you don't have control because that's the message that the narrative of today has brought to us, that if you're experiencing some kind of eating disorder or this or that or addiction, well, you're diseased, you're broken, you, you're, you, you individually are a broken person. Meanwhile, what is your environment? What has society done? Most of it's systemic. I mean, if someone has been constantly in a racist environment you know, they, and they are nervous getting in a car, it's understandable in America today to get in a car, you don't know if you're going to get shot at a traffic light. I mean, it's you know that can create tremendous trigger of trauma. And so you can't just look at a person's behavior how, um, as, as an it and label it. You have to look at it as why. You have to ask the questions. You have to have curiosity and say, okay, and not, not just you as an external person, but you yourself. Why are you showing up in this way? Why are you, your behaviors and your emotions and your body responses and your perspective, why is it like that? And what can you do to now become a thought detective to track back where this came from because as I said earlier on I mean anything like the zoom technology was initially someone's idea that they thought felt and chose grew and translated into zoom technology through whatever through the process of an action actions so the way you are showing up is your Zoom technologies. That's the end result. But how did you get there? So what we have to do is track back so that you can deconstruct down to the root, the source. Like I said, when I'm speaking now, the source of our conversation of this thought tree is my words. The source of that that um, that reaction and that next negative response or that broken relationship or that bipolar reaction, um, mood swings and so on, is that's the signal of something that's going on. So we need to grab that signal and we need to start doing the work of, of mind management, which is which is embrace it, see it as a helpful messenger. We train to see that as oh, scary label. We don't want to talk about it. Only 3% of leaders are talking about how they feel. Only 4% of church religious environments talk about feel the mental health. It's all this whole behind closed doors people are scared to talk about it because it's this stigma and people are going to get you know locked up against their will or they're going to get medicated or they're going to be seen as crazy or meanwhile if you human you have mental health issues they talk about one in four people having depression and one in five having anxiety it's not that it's a hundred percent of us are battling with depression in different ways a hundred percent of us are battling with anxiety in different ways and obviously different degrees this is a normal human thing and as soon as we can get to that point and start listening to each other's narratives we're going to start seeing discussing this in a different way and seeing it in a different way we've got to stop the labeling and we've got to start the discussions and the enabling of of people to recognize the power in the mind. So I talk a lot in my book about the pathway to empowerment. My whole goal is to get people to be empowered, to be enabled people to be empowered, to look at the signals and become the thought detective and see this as an opportunity. It's a mess to learn and repair. So our messy mind is at the front line doing this. But we also have our wise mind that forests through the middle, this incredible wisdom. It's the wisdom operating now in this discussion. We're able to have this very deep discussion about very important 
important things and we could go in a million different directions and we could go deep, deep, deep. This is wisdom. This is the wise mind talking. The ability, if you snap at someone and then you're able to stop yourself and say, oh, I'm sorry, and and recognize that you've, you know, your your verbal response, your facial expression, and, and correct that. That's the wise mind talking to the messy mind. So the messy mind reacted, the wise mind response. And what we want to do is train ourselves to access that wisdom constantly. And we can. It's like learning to play a violin. You're not going to learn to play it well on the first day, but over time you can become a really good violin player or a tennis player or go to the gym. I mean, all of this, we understand that principle, but when it comes to mind, we're not teaching people that. We're not teaching our kids from young. I, my youngest patient was two years old. My oldest patient was was in their 80s and changed profession. So it's, you know, I've trained every age group. My kids, I've got four adult children. They've Since they were babies, they've been learning this stuff. doesn't mean that they don't have depression and anxiety and go through. Of course, they humans, there are individual thinking humans that go through life and experience the, no matter, you can't put your kids in bubble wrap. They're going to go into life and experience life, but you can equip your children and yourselves with the ability to, to recognize, okay, I'm having this response because of. So let me embrace to process and reconceptualize. So let me deconstruct and reconstruct to make, to, to enable this to play out differently in my future. So just sort of in, to wrap up this and then we can, dive wherever you go in whichever direction you want if you look at this plant and i'm holding up for the viewers i'm holding up the green tree again and if you look closer you'll see some of the leaves are light and some of the leaves are dark and the reason i did this is because basically the light leaves show the pain reconceptualized so let's say that this is a trauma that you've gone through multiple abuses or the trauma of COVID. maybe you've lost loved ones and finances and it's incredibly traumatic and it's frightening and you, you've gone through you know you've deconstructed and reconstructed so you know that your depression is not that you're mentally ill on top of everything else it's you you're just having a reaction to what you've gone through so you reconceptualize that and think okay well how can i which means how can can I make this work for me instead of against me? How can I see this differently? And that requires support from other people. You don't do this alone. I mean, this is where we need to work as a community. Commu individualism doesn't work. It's an individual in a community. We design, it's not about you, it's about you in the world. And true enhancement comes when we, when we recognize the power of community and the power of enhancement. And so then the light leaves over here would represent the pain of the trauma, but the dark leaves are how you are decide, working out how to make this play out into your future. So let's say that you were sexually abused and it's affected your ability to form relationships in this process that, that you manage your mind, which is a time, there's a time frame, there's a, there's a whole um, system that you use, which we can talk about, which I talk about in the book. You essentially convert this, this, all this, this is energy inside, this is proteins and it's got energy vibrating in it. Now, energy is never lost in the thought. So, so what I'm pointing to are the two trees, the toxic tree and the healthy tree. And they're made of proteins. They have weights. They have substance. And when something, the law of, of energy is that no energy is lost. It's just transferred from one form to the next. So as you start paying attention to deconstructing this, you remove energy from the toxicity and you build it into the healthy. So this goes away. This literally, because once you don't water a plant, it dies. Once you remove the energy, it loses it. You put it over here. So now I still know my story. You don't obliterate your story because it's part of your growth. It's messy. 
the messy mind experienced that, but the wise mind is working with the messy mind to turn this into a growth process where you can repair and grow. So essentially, this the light-colored leaves then are the pain that's been transformed or reconceptualized, and the dark leaves are where you want to go. And over time, as you practice that, this becomes bigger and stronger, and the lighter leaves become less and less um, dominant, and the darker ones become more and more dominant with, with practice and time. And and that and this and this is in cycles of sixty three days. So eventually, you can get to the point where your behavior changes, where the triggers that set you into those certain patterns of ruminating and and getting stuck in your head and not being able to manage your thoughts and that kind of thing start changing. And you start, and it's but it's a constant ongoing lifestyle because your mind never stops. So as you fix one thing, this is very revelatory. You'll see, oh gosh, I only managed to get through this much. I need to do another cycle to get through this and to get through this and to get because it's so complex and, and there's no cookie cutter pattern. You know, we're all going to have different times, but it's cycles of 63 days. So let me stop there. Superhumanize. I love what you said about we need to get rid of labels and we need to look at, um, you know, certain ways our mind, our brain deals with things as not as, as, as a mental um, condition or disease, but as a coping mechanism. So the mismanagement of mental health issues, that's, that's a, a huge thing nowadays, especially now where more and more people are uh, coming out or we're reading more and more about, oh, my goodness, we're having really a lot of uh, mental health problems. And what, what I, I really, really like about your message is that you are, you convey hope. So um, in your book, also, you have... Um, five action-oriented steps that you call the neurocycle in order to reduce an anxiety and depression. And I think clinical trials have shown that uh, the reduction can be up to 81%. Can you give us a brief overview of these five steps? Help us break the bad habits and replace them with good habits? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me start by ending off because you asked me in the previous question about what it does to our body if we keep these thoughts. So why we need a mind manage, which then can lead us into, so mind management is is what I'm talking about. And the neurocycle is how you mind manage. So it's not a technique. It's not a therapy. It's basically you as a human have a mind and it never stops. You wake up with it, you go to bed with it. It never stops, as I said, even for three seconds. So it's what do you do when you live with yourself? So it doesn't replace therapy. It enhances therapy. It enhances any kind of coaching support because we need others. So, but, but you're still living with yourself. You may go to therapy once or twice a week, but you're living with yourself 24-7. What do you do with yourself the other other times? So the neurocycle helps you to get a handle on that, helps you to understand. So it's basically a system that I've developed over 38 years, initially developed clinically for people in extreme situations like traumatic brain injuries and all the things you read out at the beginning of my bio. That's what I did in a clinical practice, worked with people with extreme war trauma, sexual trauma, um, autism, dementias, severe learning disabilities, behavioral issues, etc., and dementias and so on. And so then I also saw the benefit of um, learning how to use, like that patient I told you about, the young girl, the story at the beginning, I, I developed a directed mind um, technique that, that changed the neuroplasticity of the brain. So it's the five, the neurocycles, the directed mind technique. So it's using your wise mind to manage your messy mind. And it's getting the two to talk to each other. It's like being a pilot and a co-pilot. The pilot is the messy mind in life at the front line, flying the plane. And the co-pilots, they're giving advice, checking things out, making sure, seeing the present part 
fast future, checking out the area and giving wisdom, assisting the, the pilot to make the correct decisions, but the pilot's doing the action. So what we want is a constant conversation between the wise mind and the messy mind. And that's essentially what mind management is, and it's very self-regulated. So I wanted to know from neuroscience, are we and the mind-brain research, can we consciously and deliberately self-regulate at a high level and for how long and how often. And basically you can self-regulate a mind managed through self-regulation every 10 seconds. So the neurocycle trains you to be that expert violin player where you train yourself to be able to play your mind like a violin, like an expert violin player where you develop. So it's a skill that you learn. Your mind is very malleable. Your brain is malleable. And as we are maturing, we our mind is working. We're supposed to be training our mind. And it's it's a huge part of development that's not in, uh, trained in schools. You know, there's, there's programs obviously that help people with emotional development and there's advice and there's self-help books. All of those are the attempt to manage mind and they're all good because they've all got great ideas and, and and techniques and things but essentially there's a core thing that is missing and in order to get the benefit from all those excellent techniques and, and systems and so on you need to know how to self-regulate you need a process that actually then helps you to direct your mind to, to direct your brain and that's what I've researched all over these years and tried to use on and used in different ways. My lab hasn't been, as I mentioned, the hasn't been bringing people into a lab at a university. It has been to go out into the world and work with people of different levels and different types of people and different socioeconomic strata and that kind of thing and, and, and different. So I can see how people are functioning in the real world, which and even my clinical trials, we get real people in the real world. We don't pull them into a lab. We put them into the world and let them you know, and then we see what happens um, with the with the different systems, um, and so mind management essentially through the neurocycle is so impactful that um, in terms of okay, so let me let me explain what it is, and then your other question you said what does it do to the body, and I can show you. Um, I'm going to show you that first. I'll show you a picture, and I'll explain it, and then I'm going to talk about what the neurocycle is and give you a basic example. Okay, so I'm holding up for you, those of you that are that can see that um, I'm holding up um, an image of inside the brain using a QEEG. So you're looking at three rows and it's three circles in each row. First row is all blue circles and then the second and third row is all these gray circles. So you're looking at a head map from a QEEG. So you're basically looking at a person's thinking, feeling and choosing being picked up by um, a QEEG in terms of how the brain responds, which is energetically. So the brain responds... Um, it was when we when we are alive and we're thinking and we're going through stuff and happen wake up and the brain the brain is always working it's always responding because the mind's always working when you're consciously awake um, you are starting to respond to to you're starting to interact the messy mind comes into action and it starts interacting and experimenting and on the front line and and doing the whole um, the the work as I mentioned earlier on so when when you um, when your mind when you use something like a QEEG, you're looking at the response of the mind in the brain. And, and the QEG specifically looks at things like delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma, and high gamma and high beta, which are frequencies that are like waves in the sea. And what we want is the big waves that are far out and then they get a bit smaller and then they build into this big wave and you get the white crest and it crashes on the beach and you get the little waves. And that's that 
and then it all goes back and starts all over again. That's kind of what we want going through our brain back and forth, but the balance between the two sides of the brain. And that then activates a whole downflow through the hypothalamic, hyperpituitary, uh, the hypothalamic pituitary axis, which is the stress axis, and to the heart. And there's a little mini heart brain and the enteric nervous system, which is the gut brain connection and every part of our body. So that it starts a whole downstream effect of basically the genetics and everything that keeps us alive as humans. Things are flowing, the hormone system, the endocrine system, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so this, this is all driven by how our mind is actually functioning right down to the level of the DNA. We even looked at things like telomeres, which are the ends of chromosomes and determined cell health and longevity and, and are basically um, controlled by our mind. Um, so if our mind's messy, they shorten, which affects cell health, which affects the systems of your body. And so therefore, if we're not managing our mind, if we're just ruminating and getting angry and, and staying stuck and getting mad and not and trying to suppress our stuff and, you know, pretending it's not happening and just trying to get away from it and not facing stuff and or labeling it. It's still there and that will affect all the systems because that's the message coming from the mind through the brain. So the brain now is confused because the brain's designed and wired for the, the neurobiology is for love. So it's, there's no systems in place for this suppression and fighting, and but there are systems in place for a, an experimental argument and a fixing of the arguments. In other words, you snap, you don't want to, but you snap and then you react and then you control it and you apologize and you fix it. So in other words, you make a mess and then you repair the mess and you grow forward. So then the next thing happens in relationship and whatever, you know how relationships are. It's a great example. There's always something that needs to be discussed and sorted out. And you think, oh, now I've got it. And then then and, and there's, it's great for a while. And then there's another thing. And that's all normal and good. Life is like that. It's this experimental process. So essentially, when we don't do that, though, then the whole systems, all the systems change. And 1,400 neurophysiological responses will start breaking down and working against you instead of for you. The stress response activates 1,400 neurophysiological responses that are designed to make you resilient. So if you're fixing up your mess, if you're looking at the depression to try and find out why, even though it may take you weeks or months, as soon as you face something and you embrace it to try and process it and reconceptualize it, those 1,400 neurophysiological responses will work for you. But if you do the opposite, the ruminating and suppressing, then they work against you. That then changes the entire environment of the body. And now we've increased vulnerability to disease by 35 to 98%. And it could be even more and it could be less. It could be, those are kind of ballpark figures. Um, why 35? Well, that's just a combination of the research, why 98? So it's in that ballpark but I would probably say it's from zero to 100 is more accurate so every every unmanaged mess it's another I'm not saying this is not the law of attraction I'm not saying things like if you think happy thoughts then you're going to be healthy it's this is not positive affirmations positive affirmations I don't believe in they don't work you can't go and say positive affirmation and think that but not deal with the stuff that's putting a band-aid on the wound that's going into the garden of weeds and just chopping off the head if they're going to just grow back so you can't use you know 10 gratitude statements and now it's all better it won't work you have to actually find out first why you are doing the, why this is happening in your life and then down here when you're at step number five then you can maybe as one of your action steps 
just do some gratitude statements or a positive affirmation. But that's because now you know what you, it's based on the correct thing. You've unpacked the whole um, the whole situation. It's like if you build buy a, an ugly old house to bash down and build a beautiful new home, and you t- walk through and you take photos of the mold and the ugliness of it, and the carpets that are rotten and terrible design, and you do that for memory. Then you knock it down and you have a beautiful plan and you build a beautiful new home and you're in this beautiful new space. But you still remember how it was. But you don't. You're not. You're not living in that space anymore. That's what you're doing here. But if I just took that same house and I just didn't fix anything and I just painted one on the walls and put another carpet on top of the old carpet it's still there the mold will come through the rot so that's what we're doing with the current system we're just slapping band-aids on either with medication and a label or with a positive affirmation or a gratitude statement or a little bit of meditation which has been completely decontextualized out of the original plan of meditation or the whole original system of meditation um, and I mean that's why I talk about going beyond mindfulness because uh, mindfulness is a big buzzword now if I'm mindful people say oh is this mindfulness that's only one element of it you know mindfulness is very important it's a good place to start because if you're not mindful you can't change anything so it's the first element it's like the pro how you approach this situation but you've got to go beyond mindfulness um and so otherwise you're going to have this this body in a state of any kind of suppression increases like we saw directly when people thought that when they were labeled and said i am depression and they described the narrative and it was just everything going wrong superhumanize we saw increased levels of inflammation throughout the brain and body. We saw that blue brain coming back to that blue brain. That's flat line. Instead of the beautiful waves, it was flat line, like looking at a a, a, a sea or a body of water that's completely flat. In the brain, you don't want that. And asymmetry, like you know, one side flatter than the other, that kind of thing. Things that not the coordination not happening between the connections in the brain. You don't want that because that means that that brain is is now not getting the right energy flow from the mind. So there's so you want to change the mind so that you can change the energy flow in the brain. So what we found, what I found with my research using the neurocycle, the brain within three weeks got gray. And that's, you know, this is just the imagery. It's not that the brain went gray. It's just that that's the technology. And a gray brain in these different shades of gray, when it goes to a gray color, it means that it's stabilizing. We're getting the waveforms. So it's gone back to the whole big waves, to the waves on the beach. It's going back to your version of that. Everyone's like, every wave is different. No wave's ever the same, ever. That's what humans are like. We're going to have waves, but they're different for each of us. So what we saw now, what that person in the book, the case study that I presented there with that image I showed you, that was one of our subjects in our clinical trial, that person would, uh, was given the neurocycle. So they, they weren't, the diet wasn't changed. There was no medications involved. We didn't look at exercise. And I talk about that in the book in terms of using a neurocycle to build good exercise and eating habits into your brain, into your lifestyle. But essentially, we just worked. I wanted to show the power of mind because mind drives the eating, as I mentioned in the beginning. It drives the exercise. So the neurocycle is the mind-directed technique that that has that is the same technique that I gave that that patient that to, that I told you about right at the beginning of my at, of the our discussion. But just obviously developed and refined over the years because I've continued to research and develop my theory and develop the system. So the neurocycle is the most updated scientific version of that system that was birthed all those years ago that had that incredible impact on that young woman and hundreds of thousands since. Um, and so essentially it's, 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 a, it's a system that enables you to get this gravitational field, think, feel, choose thing 
doing what it should be doing, which is trying to fix the mess, which is the wise mind talking to the messy mind, the pilot talking to the co-pilot and the experiment happening, but catching the experiment and and fixing it and fixing because, and, and when I say experiment, it's a, it's a very hopeful message because now you don't have to feel bad and guilty and condemned and shameful um, in a negative sense. You can actually embrace those emotions as springboards to fix something. So if you sense shame in yourself, you don't just sit in the shame. You say, why? Curiosity. What's the clue? This is a clue. What's it a clue to? You feel the shame, the guilt. What's this a clue to? What is this a symptom of? It's telling me something. You know, so you everything you use, it's totally different angles. Shame, condemnation, depression are no longer scary. They actually are messages. Ah, I can do something and I can take that energy and I can transfer that into a healthy energy. And when you do that, you then reduce the vulnerability of the body to disease. Now, for example, in that study, that um, some of the subjects that at the beginning of the study that had that blue brain, or they had what we call a red brain, which is where you've got too much of just the crest, the, you know, the big white, white waves where there's just the white, you don't want too much of that. So when you have someone who's very anxious and panicky, you get a lot of that across the brain. And that's like a tsunami in the brain. And it comes out like a lot of red spots on the brain. So what we had with some of our subjects is that they, a red brain or a blue brain, let's just take two extremes like that. Blue brain is flatline, very depressed, low energy. And, and the red brain is too much high energy and a complete imbalance in both cases. Neither of those are the ideal. Both of those will impact how you feel, set up your body's vulnerability. If there's something going around, you've got a greater chance of catching it. And that's why we people can get sicker and medications aren't working if they are sick or not working as well as they could. There's lots of research showing that our mind drives effectiveness of medication and effectiveness of how quickly people heal. And I've got a lot of medical friends, doctor friends who will say that they can have two patients, one worse than the other, but the mind determines the output. So the worst patient often gets better quicker because of the mind or, you know, so it's very mind is driving the effectiveness of everything. So that's why we have to train ourselves. So what I try to do is give people this most basic plan that you can then develop in yourself as though you're learning to play violin, that kind of although use it, that get your mind to that, that you're going to be a, the most brilliant violinist, violinist in the world or the most brilliant Olympic athlete in the world, but it's your mind athlete. So you're not, there's no competition because there's no one like you. So everyone gets to be this Olympian mind athlete or this brilliant violinist that, um, you know, that, that just like these exceptions that stand out, whatever, all of us have that potential, but it takes time. It takes developments ongoing. As you develop one area, you need to develop another area. So I'm giving the basic formula for how to direct the mind, to direct the neuroplasticity of the brain, to set you up, to be more prepared for acute traumas, like the pandemic, like a death in a family, like an illness, like a financial shock, like a, a traumatic, um, something that happens to someone that you love or life, you know, this politics go crazy or another thing happens or you know that all that stuff how do you prepare your body for that and your mind for that you use your mind to prepare your mind you use your mind to prepare your brain you use your mind to prepare your body so that's what basically what the neurocycle is so essentially the neurocycle's five steps now it comes from a history of science i cannot stress that enough i've got a table in here in the second half of the book i have a table that i introduce you to the concept of what, what, what the neurocycle is so it's easy to see the big picture and i have a little story in and then I dive into it in detail, how to use it for toxic trauma and toxic habits and, and acute traumas and, um, and uh, 
brain building, which is an essential part of mental health, building healthy trees into your brain through learning new knowledge. Our brain needs new knowledge, how to build healthy habits into your life, how to deal with that. So there's tons and tons of examples in the book. I also have an app called the NeuroCycle app that works really well with the book that that giving you therapy. So essentially the five steps, which are based on all these years of science, are so simple, but they're so powerful. You can't skip a step because each step is actually taking your brain and training your brain, the two parts, two sides to work together in a coherent way and activating the internal network of the brain and getting blood flow and oxygen flowing like it should and so it's doing and I put that in the book too in a simple form so that you can because you want your brain when we talk about the brain um, functioning at an optimal level we want connection between all the different parts you want balance between the two sides of the brain you want correct oxygen and energy flow you want the you know, there's all kinds of sort of patterns that you that we know are manifest in a healthy brain. So what I've tried to do is design a way that we can change our thinking, feeling, and choosing that stimulates those kind of patterns in the brain. And um, that's basically what these five steps do. So the first thing is the first thing is our attitude coming in. What is your mindset coming in? And you and I pretty much said that your mindset coming in is to be mindful. And so you, it's mindfulness, but it's also to be one of acceptance. So things like you keep hearing me say, it's okay to be depressed. It's okay to be guilty. It's okay to be anxious. Embrace it. In other words, your, your concept is embrace. Bring it into your fold. Don't see it as something scary. See it as a helpful messenger. And that's vital. That shifts the whole neurophysiology immediately and increases resilience, increases insight, all kinds of stuff. And then from there, you move into that mindset. You move into the the sort of what I call the multiple perspective advantage where you see yourself as the pilot and the co-pilot because that's you, the messy mind, wise mind. So you're coming in, it's totally, totally mindfulness. You're going to be aware. You're coming in that it's totally okay to be depressed. This is not bad. It's a signal, it's a clue. Then you're coming in as wise mind talking to messy mind. So you're not alone. You've got this wisdom at the core of you that's unfalteringly correct when you tune into it. And so then you, what you do is you physically flying over this forest, you see the signal, the smoke signal of depression or whatever, or eating disorder or constant relational issues or irritability, whatever it is that's dominant in your life. And we're going to have multiple things. Once you fix one, there's another one. That's just the rest of your life. You can do 17 a year, literally, if you look at the numbers, which I'll explain in a moment. So you're basically going to land the plane and you're going to look at this issue. So notice that I'm not, it's multiple perspective advantage. You're standing back and you're observing yourself. So you're not immersing yourself in you. You're actually going into the state of multiple perspective advantage. You're creating space. And that's why I say the helicopter hovering, Mars mind, messy mind, messy mind being pilot and then co-pilot. You're landing the plane. So you've made a choice. You're controlling it. You're not sitting there with life falling on you. You, you choosing to work on this in a specific time. And you do this um, each day for 15 to 45 minutes for 21 days. So there's actual numbers involved. And then from day um, for 22 to 63, you do just step five. And that's how you turn the new behavior into a habit. So the new behavior takes 21 days to build, but it's only small. And it doesn't have enough energy to impact your behavior. It's not a habit yet. Um, but the next 42 days of just doing step five, which only takes about a minute or two a day, maximum seven minutes, is going to turn it 
into a habit that then is going to lead to behavior change. People don't get to the 21. They don't get to the 63 because they're not told about it. And then they, they get stuck and frustrated because I'm trying this and it doesn't work. And I know what to do, but I can't make it happen or you know, ruminating and getting frustrated. But here's a system. This is what you've got to do. This is how your brain responds. You've got to train your brain because that way that you've been reacting is established. It's an established toxic tree based on something, some reason. So you have to find out what that is and deconstruct, and that's going to take you time. Superhumanize. So you embrace, then you process, then you reconceptualize. So the five steps fall into those three categories. So the first two steps are the embrace. The first step is the embrace step. We remember this mindset you're coming in accepting and pilot and all that stuff. So the first step is, is part of the the embrace and embrace bringing into a fold and it's called gather awareness. So gather means that I'm controlling it. That's why I chose these words very, very specifically to, to denote the fact that if you think of this, here's a huge apple tree. And if I go up to it and it's full of apples and they're really too, they're really ripe. And if you just bump it, all the apples will fall on your head. That's how we often do life, just everything falling. But I'm saying, no, stand back. And you choose which apple to pick when it suits you. And day one, you may only be able to pick one apple. That's totally fine. You gather the apple and put it in your basket. And if you can only gather one today, that's fine. There's tomorrow. There's the next day. There's the next day. A little bit every day. That's why I say work from 15 to 45 minutes. If you can only do seven minutes or five minutes, that's totally fine. Do what you can in that time frame. And so then the second step is once you've gathered awareness, you're going to then reflect, which is a beautiful word. If you shine light through a prism, it goes comes out in a multiple in the rainbow. So there's depth to reflection. You ask, answer, discuss why, why, why do I have this? So you're now being the thought detective, you're being that finding what does the clue mean? You're being Sherlock Holmes. And then you go into the next two steps or right steps. And there's very specific writing steps. The first step is kind of a messy one where you just pour your thoughts on paper, which pulls the two sides of the brain together, gets you deeply introspective and digs deep into the non-conscious, pulling it through the subconscious. The second, the second writing step, which is step number four of the neurocycle, is an organizing step. It's called the recheck. And that's where you start looking for, okay, let's get order. What does this mean? You know, let's see the patterns, the triggers, the antidotes. So, you know, let's make sense of this. Let's see this from a different angle. What are the different perspectives I can look at? How can I see this differently? What do I want out of this? And then the fifth step is you close the work for the day. It's the full stop on the sentence. It's the, and that's where you could use something like a little positive affirmation, like I am not shame or um, thank goodness I'm alive or something simple. Or it could be visualizing a white rose or it could be, you know, it's anything that captures the work you've done that day. So it's not prescriptive. It is very much your own thing that will help you to stay um, in a good place for the rest of the day. Because the temptation why people ruminate is that they get stuck in the pattern, they feel hopeless, they feel like they can't control. Now here you've got a plan, you're doing the work, but you're only supposed to do a maximum of 45 minutes. So the rest of the day, you're not allowed to think about that. Only the positive lesson you've learned. So the active reach could be the positive lesson. Maybe it is it's okay to feel depressed. Maybe that's the lesson you learned because you've been hammering yourself about feeling depressed. And now you're saying, it's actually, it's okay. It's just a signal. You need to, every time you're tempted to go back to this whole dark thing and ruminate on how bad you are and how terrible life is and so on, you can say, uh -uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to capture that. I'm going to, and I give techniques like you can capture that. Imagine putting it in a box, lock the key, put the box down. Um, imagine a building with windows and it's behind the building. It's, it's behind, it's in one of the windows and you're on the outside and you've drawn down the blind. You know, so there's visual, visual things that you 
can do that as you're doing them, you're building that network of resilience in your brain around this to help you. And you train yourself not to go back. Every time you get drawn back, you feel the pull, you put, you train yourself to look at the visualization or whatever the active reach is. And that's what you do for the day. And then you go through this period daily to five steps for the 21 days. By 21 days, you would have removed the energy from this. You would have deconstructed and reconstructed. That's what the embrace process and reconceptualize into this, but it's small. And that's why I say you get a collective final, maybe two or three active reaches that you then practice for the next 42 days, very consciously, very deliberately. And that's what turns it into a habit. So that's essentially the basic process. And it's in detail with lots of examples in the book and in the, in the app. That's a fantastic insight, and I highly, highly recommend Dr. Lee's book, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, and uh, it's so practical what you explained there. Everybody can do it. It's simple. Uh, it's, it doesn't cost a lot. I'm actually just started on my journey using uh, your neurocycle, and I'm excited to see what's going to happen in about 50-some uh, days from now. There you go. Wonderful. You need to let me know. Send, send me an email. I'd love to hear. Oh, I will. I would absolutely love to. And um, Dr. Leaf, there is one question I ask every guest on this podcast. That's about the practices that most profoundly have affected your life, mentally, physically, or spiritually, practices that you um, use regularly and that have been beneficial to you. And if you would be so kind to share those with us. Absolutely. Well, I can tell you that my answer is going to be what you probably predict, and that is the neurocycle. So it was initially called that the neurocycle is a new name for it. Initially, I just called it the five step process. Um, but I've been using it since I developed it, and it changed my life. It's changed every aspect, and I'm still using it. There's still patterns that. So what's happened now is that I don't have. I don't, I'm not saying that I have achieved perfection because I don't believe any of us ever will, but it's certainly something that we can get, we can tune into a wise mind. What's happened now though, is that I would get thrown by something like maybe a comment or an argument or something that happened in my business or the politics or whatever. And I would get thrown for hours and I'd get stuck in those kind of situations and it would affect everything. That doesn't happen anymore. So I recognize if someone says something that's nasty and unkind and really hurt Hurtful. Instead of letting it affect me for hours, I immediately will neurocycle and catch that. I recognize I've used the neurocycle to see the patterns in my life. If I see I'm doing something in my marriage or with my kids or in the business that's becoming a pattern, I will go and do a detox to work on that. And I'm always in the detox. I'm, I'm I think I'm on day I'm on day 23 now of a detox that I've been working on an issue that I've been working on in in my own life. And I'm always doing a detox. Every I do I do my detoxes when I'm getting ready in the morning. I've put my whole cycle, my whole daily program in chapter 14 I show you from the time I open my eyes till the time I go to bed is um, how I kind of where I fit in the mind work during the day so it's not a, a burdensome it's just done it's just because it's all mind stuff so I'm doing it I'm doing it through the course of the day and I've built it into my daily routine and it has transformed how I function it's given me a level of peace that is just unbelievable and it doesn't mean that I don't still make mistakes but it's quicker I'm managing it 81% more effectively so I'm not getting stuck I've got that freedom I don't feel controlled by the things of life I know what to do I don't try and hide them and that's I can't tell you how like if you're feeling a bit depressed I'm not scared to say I feel a bit depressed today 
And then I don't just leave it there. I'll work out why. And then I'm able to say because of, and this is what I'm going to do about it. And that's the difference between how I used to be to where I am now. And that's what I found with my patients over the years and with people's feedback over the years. So that's what, that's what how I'd answer that question. Excellent. And to, to admit, to actually be open about what's going on with us, I've also found that to be so, so beneficial instead of hiding it, shaming it, and to come out with it, to be vulnerable allows us to heal. And it also allows others to take the steps. Um, and Dr. Leaf, is there anything that I have not touched upon that you'd like to share with the audience? We've spoken about your brilliant book. You've mentioned your app. Is there anything our listeners or viewers should be made aware of on top of that? Oh, well, that's great. And I have a podcast called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. So that is this in the same name as the book. And that's it's like up there at number one as well in mental health and that kind of thing. So the top um, mental health, so it'll help people with day-to-day stuff. And that's another great resource. And then obviously Instagram to follow me on social media, Dr. Caroline Leaf. I'm also on Clubhouse. So wherever people like to find information, you'll find me there. So Dr. Caroline Leaf is my social media handles. DrLeaf.com is the webpage. Tons of information there, newsletters, blogs. You know, like most people do, we give a lot of free information, tons and tons of free information. And then I've got a store there as well where they can get the book and the app. The app's on, also on iTunes and Google Play. So, And the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Wonderful. And I'll make sure to link to all of that in the show notes. Uh, Dr. Lee, thank you for giving us back the control over our minds and brains with the wonderful tools that you offer with all the many years of research that you've done in the field, all the books that you've published and all these beautiful resources you've created. Thank you. Super, super grateful. You've spent your time with us and I know you will continue to change countless people's lives with all the amazing work you do. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Oh, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our, our conversation and I really love what you do too. So thank you so much. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. 